Hello, welcome back to another episode of Sports Waves. Paxton Ritchie here with Carl Winter. Stay tuned later on in the show. We're going to have Wyatt Young from Pepperdine Baseball on to talk some MLB playoffs with us. But first, make sure you know where to stay updated on our podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Sports Waves Pod. That's at Sports Waves Pod. Make sure you follow us. Also follow the Pepperdine graphic because they are also tweeting every episode that comes out. You can listen to us on SoundCloud. You can listen to us on Spotify. A lot of different ways to listen to our show, and we thank all of you that are. Big story in uh, sports today. There's a lot of them. NBA Finals is going on. MLB Playoffs is going on. We'll be talking about that with our guest. But the NFL, four games into the season, we've already seen a coach lose his job, Carl. And it's somebody that we have talked about extensively on this show before. Bill O'Brien, the coach, GM, everything for the Houston Texans, who now have nothing because they've let him go. Yeah, it's an interesting development. I don't think that we thought that this would happen four games into the season with, with all the moves they made in the offseason. We thought that, you know, there might be – if there were to be a coach fired in season, that it wouldn't be Bill O'Brien, the guy who is also the GM, also calls the plays for the offense. This does happen in, in a typical NFL year, but I don't think four games in from a team that's made the playoffs the last few years is really what we expected. They had arguably the toughest uh, first four-game stretch in football. We discussed this in our NFL picks. How are they going to – how is the team going to react? Are they going to continue to spiral and, and lose to teams that they shouldn't lose, be losing to with the amount of talent that they still do have? Or is the team going to kind of see this as an automatic culture shift? I do think the Texans still have a ton of talent. I mean, this is not like a we're going to tank for the rest of the year. They, can't, they just can't do that with the amount of talent that they have. And so it's a very weird situation to be in. I, I thought it kind of came out of nowhere. His GM skills – are, have been a punching bag for some time. They leave a lot to be desired, but he actually wasn't a bad coach. I mean, they had four division titles in five years that he was at the helm. Their schedule this season, yes, they just like you mentioned, Carl, they were 0-4, but against really three the three top teams in their conference and one game against an equally desperate Minnesota Vikings team. So with his resume, four playoff appearances, you kind of wonder why there was such a short leash. And then you hear things about the reports that just broke that J.J. Watt and Bill O'Brien got into a heated argument before the game in week three. You, you hear the reports after the DeAndre Hopkins trade that Bill O'Brien disagreed with DeAndre Hopkins. So it could be that that is the reason behind the firing, but if that's the case, why do you let him trade so many picks, so many stars, sign so many long-term contracts? I mean, it seems like there had to have been a better plan in place. It, even if you don't like O'Brien, you, you kind of have to stick with him for a little while just so the next guy can start over. I mean, that's what it seems like to me. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I just think it's a very difficult situation to be in for whoever comes in. I mean, now they have an interim in Cornell, and I don't think they expect to keep him around for for more than the season. Um, but the team that doesn't have any first round, first or second round draft pick this coming year, they traded them both. It seems like it's just kind of a broken locker room now. And it, his last, it might have been that his last 
effort Bill O'Brien's to, to write the ship was to start uh, like taking over the play calling and, and that might not have gone the right way with the players. And apparently he, his push to bring in Earl Thomas um, on the defense wasn't going over well with the players. Um, so maybe that was just the last straw. I mean, when you've lost the confidence of your locker room, then uh, the owner must have said, you know, it's time to pull the plug when the players don't have confidence in him anymore. Cause it's one thing to not have enough talent, but this team does have a lot of talent and, and that's, that wasn't the reason they were losing. So yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange place for them to be. It's not a great situation for them to come into, but maybe then they'll have more confidence in whoever comes in. The the Earl Thomas thing is an interesting point because Bill O'Brien wanted to bring in Earl Thomas. They had some injuries in the secondary, but that move was vetoed by the locker room. Bill O'Brien was talked out of signing Earl Thomas by his players. I think the biggest thing for me is this move. It really doesn't feel like it's at the right time, but I'm not sure if it was too early or too late. You know, I'm not sure if it was too early and that you have to give him time to see through the results of his project or too late in that you shouldn't have given him all this power, all this responsibility to make franchise decisions that now leave your organization as quite frankly, the least desirable job in football, even with franchise players like Deshaun Watson and JJ Watt, because you have no draft picks, no cap room, really no flexibility to a roster that is good, but, has a ceiling and has some locker room issues. I don't know if any any coach with options is going to want to walk into that situation. We've done a lot of Jets disparagement on the show. We've done plenty of Lions disparagement on the show and on our NFL picks. Uh, both those guys still have jobs right now, and Bill O'Brien does not. Carl, was there a game from the NFL Week 4 calendar that stood out to you obviously not all of them took place which was the first but now that we're a quarter of the way through the season what are some of your observations on what you saw last Sunday I'm kind of inclined to bring up the Browns they're playing like the team that their talent level suggests they should be offensively and Baker Mayfield is doing what he should be doing and that's just facilitating and getting the ball to his skilled players but also the Cowboys I mean their defense is is the worst in the league right now it seems like they just they can't stop anyone they 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 made the browns offensive line look like it was the best o line in the league and and where do they go from here when you have a quarterback who's putting up 500 plus yards a game and losing week in and week out and you br- have brought in a defensive minded head coach like mike mccarthy how can you be this terrible defensively yeah and it's worth noting that their quarterback who throws for 500 yards and four touchdowns and single-handedly won them the one game they've won and kept them in the three that they've lost, he's not under contract for next season. I mean, Dak Prescott bet on himself big time, and he is cashing out, whether it's with the Cowboys or whether we have another Kirk Cousins debacle that uh, have him end up with another team. Uh, The Cowboys are, are in trouble. The good news is the rest of their division is pretty terrible, too. The Eagles are in first place because they tied the Bengals. Everybody else is either 1-3 and three or 0-4. Oh but the Browns look great. Odell looked like he just needed to step in Cowboys Stadium again to re- re- rediscover his old self. I mean, he, he looked every bit the explosive star player that he burst on the scene being. And uh, the Browns, 3-1, first time in a while they've got a winning record. Things are looking up from here. Let's move on to the NBA now. Last week's episode, we previewed the NBA Finals matchup between the Lakers and the Heat. 
We've now gotten a chance to see a few games. The Lakers are up 3-1 in the series as we tape this podcast. And but the narrative has been changed a little bit because the Heat have been struck by injuries to their all-star center, Bam Adebayo, as well as their point guard, Goran Dragic. Carl, what do you think was the biggest impact for the series? And how do you evaluate the Heat's performance so far, knowing that they've been without those two guys for much of it? I think they've battled really hard and, and I've been really impressed with it's kind of been a chess match with the way that Spolstra's had to coach um, but, but they've made adjustments. They, they battled really hard. Jimmy Butler's played really well. He's played a ton of minutes and had to kind of rise to the occasion. And I think they did well to get a win, you know, a little bit shorthanded. I guess the fact of the matter is they needed every single piece they needed to use their depth. So losing those guys to injuries for a couple of games doesn't bode well. And, and being in the position they're in, I think the Lakers just have had too much talent and LeBron and Anthony Davis haven't had an off night and and LeBron is very good at closing a series when when he has the opportunity to they're not going to let their foot off the gas at this point but the Heat have been impressive you know even down 3-1 losing their guys they haven't lost confidence level they've had a spring in their step they lost by 20 in game one but they've you know they've really battled in these other games so it's it's been fun to watch even though it seems like the Lakers have been a heavy favorite but impressed by Miami and how well they played I just have to give the Heat so much credit because this is such a good look for them as a franchise. They're overmatched. They're less experienced. They're less talented. They have less transcendent superstars, but they are fighting. They're step for step with the Lakers in game three and even in game four for much of the game. I think the Heat, you've got to be looking out for them now. Is, is Giannis looking at Miami? Are any free agent discontent with their current situations. Miami looks like a real good place to play with the culture that they've built and the team work ethic and the built-in role players that they have. We're going to welcome in Wyatt Young here in just a minute, but first I got a quick shout out to the WNBA champion Seattle Storm, Washington State's best basketball team. They win their second title in three years. Brianna Stewart has two WNBA championships and four college championships. She has a crazy career. Sue Bird, her fourth ring. Shout out to the Storm. Congratulations. And real quick, again, before we let Wyatt in, I want to give a little bit of running news. You all know that I'm the only one you might know who follows professional running, but the men's 10,000-meter and women's 5,000-meter world records went down. Uh, Joshua Cheptegei of Uganda breaking the 10K runs 26.11, and Latenzabet Gede of Ethiopia breaks the women's 5K, runs 14.06. Those world records stood for 12 years for the women's one and 15 years for the men's one, so pretty big deal. We haven't seen people go after stuff like this, but that's kind of the beauty of this time. There's no championships this year, so people are going after these records and getting them. But uh, I think it's time to talk to Wyatt Young. All right, we're here with Wyatt Young. Wyatt, thanks so much for joining the show today. No problem. Thank you for having me. So, Wyatt, uh, first off, you obviously are a player for the Pepperdine baseball team. So, who are your pro, who's your pro baseball team? Who'd you grow up rooting for? I know you're from Hawaii, right? So, what, what do, who do people root for out in Hawaii? You know, you guys don't have your own team. So, who, who are the popular teams out there? Uh, I'm not too sure who the popular teams are, but I do know that when you're from a place where they don't have a professional baseball team, you can pretty much pick whoever you want. So uh, my team is the Boston Red Sox. That's who I grew up watching. A lot of times people ask me why I watch them. So I'd say it was probably because of, of Dustin Pedroia. He's a small guy. I'm a small guy. So I grew up watching him and looking up to him. 
And uh, it just stuck with me ever since that. The tough year to be a Red Sox fan, though, wasn't it? Yes, yes, it is, definitely. So are you rooting hard for Tampa in this series? I guess it would be. I mean, I enjoy watching the Yankees a lot, though. Giancarlo just hit a monster home run yesterday. I'm sure you saw it. Uh, they're, they're both fun to watch. All these teams are fun to watch, so. Wyatt, you talked about how Dustin Pedroia is a big influence for you. Obviously, the smaller second baseman kind of gets his uniform dirty type of thing. He hasn't played in a while. I actually don't know if he's officially retired, but it's been a couple years because he's been really hit with injuries. So do you have other guys in the game today now who you sort of try to emulate or, or even if you don't emulate them, you just really enjoy watching them? There's a ton of guys, but since we're on the spectrum of little guys, I'd look up to uh, guys like Jose Altuve. Obviously, the whole cheating thing might have altered my thinking a little bit, but uh, he's still a good player regardless, especially at his size. Defensively, he's fun to watch. Colton Wong is good, fun to watch. He's from Hawaii. Um, I also grew up watching him in person. So, yeah, all the little guys, all the little second basements I like watching. Wyatt, you, you mentioned the Astros, and we kind of have to talk about them a little bit. I, I want to get your thoughts because, obviously, they've this postseason they've been public enemy number one, and they've kind of, like, relished that villain role, and they've almost kind of encouraged it. One of our most popular, like, Twitter polls and shows was after that sign scandal broke, and – you know, just as a baseball fan and a former baseball player, not nearly as good as you, but I did play for a while. Uh, I was just, you know, shocked that people were, it, it was harming the integrity of the game in that way. So what, what was your reaction when you, when you found out about it? And you said it kind of alters your thinking of guys like Altuve. So how do you view the Astros in the aftermath of all of this? Um, yeah, definitely when I first found out, um, it was a little surprising just because, you don't you know, this stuff doesn't happen. Uh, or if it does, you don't find out about it. So definitely surprised. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't think too much about it, though. Like, I know a lot of people were on Twitter and they were, you know, tweeting at the Astros. They were just the frenzy going on on Twitter. Um, I kind of stayed away from that. I didn't think about it too much. I kind of like how they're playing. I mean, it's sort of the underdog role. Like, everybody's against them in a way, you know. So I like how they're playing. Yeah, and with that, they definitely have taken on this underdog role. They haven't been shy about it. Um, and guys that have been there for a few years, you know, Correa, Springer, Bregman, and Altuve, we have to remember that they've been here before and they're playing super well now in the playoffs, even though they they didn't have, you know, the numbers they had in the past few years, which which has been, it's been easy to, to point that out. But, but you know, there's, they've been there. I was there in 2017 when they won the World Series against the Dodgers in Game 7 and played super well, obviously, down the stretch. So I, I'm excited to see, you know, if they get a rematch with the Yankees or they get a rematch with the Dodgers down the line there. Because there, there's been so much beef this year in the, in the MLB, not just with the Astros, but with divisional rivals. And, and where do you stand on, like, the whole issue of, you know, unwritten rules in baseball and throwing at guys and, and people getting mad at things that just because it's against tradition in baseball? Yeah, obviously there are some unwritten rules that you really don't break. In terms of throwing at guys, I'm, in the Astros case, I'm not exactly too sure. Like, I don't know exactly how I feel about it just because I know they cheated and I know the anger other players feel. But on the flip side, you know, pitchers nowadays, they throw extremely hard, 100 miles per hour. Uh, they can cause some serious injury. And so I don't know how those two play out with each other, you know, just because you understand the anger that they're going through. Uh, the Dodgers, I know Joe Kelly had that entire stint. Uh, that was kind of funny to watch uh, play out, actually. You know, guys get suspended for it. There's repercussions. Uh, whether or not they're hard enough, that's a different discussion. But 
repercussions do exist. Well, but outside of the Astros, you know, young, exciting players think of like Tatis and uh, Acuna last night and, you know, Tim Anderson on the White Sox and, and guys whose, whose message is basically just if you, don't, if you don't want me to, you know, bat flip on you or steal second on you late in the game or something, then, then don't let me. Don't give up the bomb or whatever. Um, so, so what about the, these young, flashy guys that, that didn't cheat, but sometimes they're still getting thrown at? I don't agree with that personally. I mean, they're a joy to watch. So it's like, why not watch them perform even more? And, you know, for things like swing, swinging 3-0 when you're up however many runs, teams can still come back, you know, especially with the Swartzen season. Things are much, much different this year. You don't know how things are going to play out. Uh, you might as well just try and win every single game and demolish every single team. It's kind of like I know when I was younger, my coaches would always be like, demolish every single team, every single inning. And so it's kind of the same thing. And if you're Tatis, you're a rising young player, and you're extremely good at it and if you get a 3-0 cookie down the middle like I would swing at it too if I were able to do the same thing in in college you guys don't have it's not tolerated the same way it is in the MLB to have any benches clearing incidents or any beanball wars but I, I bet as the leadoff hitter who's often among the team leaders in batting average the last thing you want is a beanball war going on when you're standing in the box Yes, um, that is definitely scary. I don't want to be thrown at. I'm a small body. I don't know if I can handle it. I definitely don't, don't want to be in the middle of a fight either. Yeah, I'm one of those guys that will probably be standing in the back somewhere or breaking somebody apart unless I get mad or something happens to me. Then, you know, I don't know how, how I would react. But, uh, yeah, it's funny to think about. I never really thought about that, though. Well, I guess playing middle infield, though, you, I mean, you might not have had guys thrown at you because I, I just haven't seen that that often in high school or college. But have you ever had a guy like, you know, cleat you or, you know, slide in really hard as you're trying to turn two or anything like that? Uh, there's definitely been a few times where, yeah, I'm at shortstop and a guy comes in kind of hard sliding at the second. That happened a few years ago in summer ball, and we did get into a bench clearing brawl because of it. That's what I, that's what I was saying how about, about how I would be in the back because I was in the back at that time. And the situation was right in front of me. Like, he slid into me. My second baseman backed me up. So that was fun to have. But uh, there's definitely situations where that happens. Uh, a lot of times, it'll probably be just mouthing off at each other. But, yeah, it definitely gets annoying. But I, I also see the other side of it, too. You know, you're trying to help your team win. And if, that, if, if you have to disrupt the shortstop a little bit, you know, I would definitely do it also. Why can you just take us into kind of what happens when you're in the middle of that situation? Because it is kind of funny. We market them as these bench-clearing brawls, and it acts like everybody's involved. But it's not true. It's usually a couple guys who are angry, and then everybody is just kind of huddled around each other, just spectating and just kind of standing there for moral support, especially the bullpen guys who are basically just getting exercised by running in and running out. They're not really doing anything. So when, when you're in the middle of that situation, you're watching something like happen, what's going on, what's running through your mind, what's it like? Um, yeah, definitely there is only a few people that are throwing punches, if anything. I know when I was in the middle of that brawl, it was kind of surprising. Didn't really move a lot, but the fight wasn't near me, so it was all right. I didn't really have to break anything up. It's kind of like guys are just like on each other, on top of each other. Like my hands on somebody's shoulder, somebody's hand on, is on my shoulder. Just kind of like looking in, seeing what's going on, seeing if anything does need to be broken up. But for the most part, the bigger guys on the team will have that part. They'll be the ones in there doing the dirty work, getting guys off each other. What do you think would happen if Pepperdine got in a bench clearing brawl? What would, what would Hurdy do? 
Honestly, I don't know just because we've never been in one or I've never been in one here. Obviously, it depends on the situation, like what's going on, like whose fault it is really, you know. I'm not, I don't know if Hurdy would be mad or not. I definitely don't think he would be happy. I think he'd be a little bit disappointed. But if like if someone's backing somebody up and if uh, we're defending our teammates, I don't think he can be all that mad, uh, especially if we're you know, fighting for one another. Yeah, it's interesting how most baseball coaches, especially at the college level, like baseball lifers, I mean, these guys have been in the game for a really long time, and especially at Pepperdine with as good as the coaching staff is, they've, they've experienced every level of baseball. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, in the pros, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty common for guys to jaw at umpires, for managers to get in it with umpires. But then you have to go back to the college game and you have to teach these guys, you know, we, we don't want to get in trouble. We don't want anybody to get hurt. So Wyatt, just kind of tying in some of the things we've talked about with like unwritten rules and the Astros and sign stealing and all that, where do, you, where do you draw the line as a player? Because obviously so many teams are trying to pick signs from second base or from the first base coach's box and all that's sort of considered within the rules. But obviously the Astros took it another step by using technology and and everything that they did. So as a as a baseball player, where do you sort of draw the line on things you guys are doing on the field to try and get an edge? Obviously, you know, just with your own eyes, not with not with technology or anything like that. Uh, stealing signs uh, with your own eyes is a part of the game. Um, it always has been. I think it always will be. Both teams are trying to win. Both teams do it. Um, I know my high school coaches, uh, we used to practice stealing signs from second base. And uh, we would actually have sheets for, like, where the coach would touch on his face if he was, when he was giving a signal. And we would write each touchdown. We would try to figure out what that signal is. You know, doing it the other way, trying not to get your own sign stolen. Like, are you, are you constantly switching signs between games or, or switching, you know, the order or whatever it might be? Yeah, for us, um, we definitely do switch up signs. How long we do it or how often we do it, is, it differs every single time. Um, so sometimes it might be for one game. Sometimes it might be for an inning. And, yeah, and as for other teams, when we're trying to pick signs, we have guys in the, in the dugout that are – most of the time they're pitchers and they're focusing specifically on that. Obviously, that's a huge part, knowing what pitch is coming. Um, and so any slight advantage we can get, we're going to take and vice versa. What do you think, go, kind of going back to pro baseball, there's been a lot of different rules this year, obviously the 60-game season uh, because of COVID, but also the other things they've introduced, whether it's uh, the seven-inning doubleheader or the extra-inning rule with the runner on second base, nobody out, the, uh, the three-batter minimum for pitchers. Do you, do you think that stuff adds to the game or takes away from the game? Because it almost, it almost, to me, makes it a little bit more college-like than it used to be. But I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, I definitely see the uh, team more like college, even high school. Yeah, and what about the uh, expanded playoffs, the, you know, the DH in the NL, um, whether or not these – obviously the 60-game season will not stay around. Are you really against any of them, or are there any that you, you would like to see brought into you know, 2021 and beyond? Uh, in terms of the DH and the playoffs, like I'm not too sure – uh, you know, I'm not a DH, so it doesn't really affect me too much. For the runner on second, I, yeah, I don't like that at all. Like, you're just going to automatically put a runner in a scoring position. I don't think that's good, like, at all. I mean, I guess it's okay since both teams have it, but... Well, and it almost seems to me, with the runner on second, that the home team gets a bigger advantage. 
because they know how many runs they need to play for. So whereas if, if you if you somehow stop the the road team from scoring, you can bunt the guy over, infield's in, a pop fly gets him home, a single through the hole gets him home. But then if you if if you're chasing two or something like that, then you know you have to sort of swing. And I, I think we saw in the big leagues, obviously in college, a bunt anytime there's a runner in scoring position and no outs, a bunt is automatic in college baseball. But in the pros, we haven't seen that happen. They've they've really been sort of just still trying to get that ball in the gap and drive in the run that way. So it, it seems like it really tips the scales to to the home team, for me anyway. Yeah, and I'll just toss my opinion here. I don't like it either. I don't like the guy on second. I think it completely changes the spirit of the game. And I don't like the 18 playoff either. But I do think it was the right move for this year with such a small sample size it makes sense for this year. And I think it might've actually helped to grow the game a little bit to have so many teams in the playoffs, but over the course of 162, I, I don't think teams sub 500 should be making it. Um, but I don't know if this is going to be a hot take with you guys or not. You guys also like me grew up a fan of an AL team. I, I wouldn't be mad if they kept the DH and the NL. I just, because, you know, by the time you're in high school or college as you, as a pitcher, you're already called the PO. You you might take BP once in a while, but but unless you're a good hitter, a lot of these guys barely hit at all. And then they go to the pros and are expected to hit again in the National League. It just, I don't like the whole, you know, intentionally walk the number eight guy to get to the pitcher. I, I think that the DH in the National League should be here to stay. I don't know where, you know, obviously baseball purists and traditionalists and generally fans of the national league are going to be against that, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised, nor would I be mad if they kept it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm in favor of it too. I I think that, you know, the way baseball is going, we're already in the days of, you know, launch angle, uh, everybody striking out, walking or homering, you know, nobody's bunting anymore. Nobody's stealing bases anymore. So why stick a pitcher out there when you could have, you know, one more bat in the lineup. I, I think it's a good call. The only thing I'd be sad about losing the DH and the NL is really the last, because managers are so at the pro level. They're so ceremonial these days with all the analytics. The last like complicated brain power thing a manager has to do is the double switch in the NL. Like that's the last thing that takes like a little bit of skill to do correctly and if you don't have that anymore then the manager's just kind of like the clubhouse caretaker and not much else uh, that's funny you say that uh anybody that you really like to for sure you know win the pennant or win the series i mean the yankees their entire lineup is stacked i kind of hope the yankees win so i can keep on watching them uh because they're extremely fun to watch uh but the same thing goes for san diego you know obviously tatis is super fun to watch also i mean these teams all have that one player that you enjoy watching and that uh, can make things happen on the field. But the Yankees have like a whole lineup full of them. So I guess they're who I'm uh, rooting for actually. I, I would tell uh, other Red Sox fans you're rooting for the Yankees to win uh, your secret <laughs> safe with us. But just uh, what do you, what do you think of the baseball being played? Cause obviously there's, we're playing base playoff baseball earlier or not earlier time-wise, but earlier in the season, you know, we've seen guys, 162 games we've seen guys go into the playoffs on contenders hitting like 180 190 and then some you know who've had great seasons in the small sample size when you watch the games does it seem like different baseball to you 
or or does it seem like relatively the same game in the playoffs? Obviously, it's a little harder just because 60 compared to 162 is so much different. And in a 162 game uh, year, like so many things can happen, uh, injuries, uh, trades and all that. So I, I highly I know for a fact that what we're seeing right now would not be the same thing we, we would see uh, for a regular season. And so for that point of view, uh, it is different. Yeah, just to toss one thing in there, I think it's been different to see. I feel like pitching rotations have been smaller than ever, especially with, with how – you know, they're cramming this this bigger playoffs into a shorter amount of time. It seems like not a lot of teams have like a set in stone number three starter or number four starter that they're going with. It's like, how can we get back to our, our ace? How can we bridge this game? And, you know, guys are starting and, and going super, super short and games are being almost overmanaged. There's so many pitching changes, even with the new three batter rule. You've got teams throwing nine different guys in a nine inning game. Even though there's, you know, more games, it seems like you need more starters, but teams are like, how can we get to our, uh, you know, our three or four bullpen arms who we really rely on every single day? There have also been a ton of injuries also. You know, maybe they don't want to give guys that long of an outing uh, now because, you know, as players, as pitchers get into the postseason, they tend to ramp things up a little bit. You know, you see pitchers not throwing as much just because of the difference of the year and their arms aren't accustomed to this. I mean, nobody really knows what to do. I don't think so because, um, you know, they've never been in the situation before. Wyatt, we're, we're, it's almost time to let you go. But for the last question, I want to just give you a chance to talk about the Pepperdine season. I know you guys are hoping to play in the spring. Maybe just uh, talk a little bit about what your goals are for the year and then, you know, shout out some of your teammates and guys we should be keeping an eye on for. Well, we only lost one player from last year, uh, Will Jensen. Obviously, he's a huge loss, but uh, we were able to keep everybody else, pretty much keep our entire lineup the same. And so I think things are going to go good for us this year just because uh, we have experience coming back, especially guys that produced a lot last year. They're coming back. But the thing is that every other team out there, too, has guys coming back. Um, so I, I think the playing field will be a little bit level, uh, kind of the same way it was last year just because – of the talent that is still here. Obviously the depth is much more uh, present just because so many players, right? The roster sizes are uh, a lot bigger now, but in terms of players to watch, I mean, the same guys that you would watch last year are the same guys that you'd probably want to watch this year. Billy Cook, Reese, our same lineup, essentially. I think we'll have a couple of freshman contributors also on the mound in the field maybe. And so they'll be fun to watch also. Awesome. Wyatt Young. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. No problem. Thank you for having me. See you guys. For more info on this podcast and to hear about upcoming episodes, make sure you follow us on Twitter at SportsWavesPod. And to keep up with the other podcasts, breaking news, and more from The Graphic, follow them on Twitter and Instagram at PepGraphic or visit Pepperdine-Graphic.com.